I've had this file cabinet for years. It's an old beat up thing that's moved from place to place with me so many times I've lost track of everywhere it's been. I'm not even sure where it came from, but I've had it for a long time now. As for its contents, well, they're a little strange. They'd even be considered by most people to be pretty disturbing. I mean, if they didn't know what I do for a living. The cabinet contains records and remnants of the vanished. People who walked away one day or were taken and never returned, they just disappeared without a trace and they're simply gone. I've been obsessed with unsolved disappearances for as long as I can remember because, well, I mean, we all love a mystery, right? But what about those mysteries that can never be solved? When you start searching for traces of the vanished, you soon realize that real life is not like a work of fiction. A detective isn't going to step in and solve the case in the final pages of the book or in the last reel of the film. Real life is much messier. Some mysteries may never be solved, like those of people who disappear without a trace. It's been said that in America alone, as many as 10 million people are reported missing every year. Most of them return home within hours or days, but there's a small percentage of them that go missing forever. It seems like this wouldn't be an easy thing to do in this modern age, but it occurs more often than we'd like to think. The accounts of those vanishings have all the ingredients of a mystery story, except for the ending, of course. With these stories, we're left to speculate, to wonder, and, well, to lose sleep over. Many of the circumstances around unsolved disappearances are often bizarre, sometimes ridiculous, but in the end, always inexplicable. Even when it seems the event should be impossible. How can someone just vanish and leave no clues behind? In some cases, people vanished into uncharted wilderness and fell victim to places for which no maps exist. Or perhaps the weather played a role. Swamping ships at sea and snatching airplanes out of the sky. And of course, there are the disappearances linked to crime and violence where the bodies of murder victims are never found. But what if sometimes things are even weirder. Perhaps some disappearances have supernatural origins. There are some who believe there are tears in the fabric of time and space into which people sometimes vanish. Unable to return to this world, they create a mystery that can never be solved. But no matter how they vanish, though, they're still gone. And as we'll find in the season ahead, there are a great many mysteries for which no logical explanation exists. For instance, in June 1874, a steamship called Iron Mountain vanished on the Mississippi River. The massive riverboat was more than 180 feet long and had five huge boilers to provide steam to turn her massive paddles. The vessel was loaded with cotton and molasses from New Orleans and carried 57 passengers. When it left port, it was towing a string of barges behind it. As she reached midstream, the pilot gave a couple of long blasts on the whistle to warn small boats out of the way, and then she rounded a bend and was never seen again. Iron Mountain's barges were later found adrift on the river. Their tow ropes cut clean through. No trace of wreckage from the steamer nor bodies of the passengers and crew were ever found. Hundreds of miles of river bottom were dragged, but without success. Other riverboats should have seen the Iron Mountain, but none of them had. No adequate explanation for the disappearance of the ship has ever been found. 
On October 13, 1913, early American aviator Albert Jewell disappeared off Long Island, New York. No trace of him was ever found either. Jewell was on his way to Staten Island, where he planned to take part in the New York Times American Aerial Derby. The race had been organized to commemorate the 10th anniversary of Orville Wright's first flight in 1903. The race was a series of timed flights over a 60-mile course. Albert held a pilot's license issued by the Aero Club of America, and at the time of his disappearance, he'd been flying for six months, which made him a veteran aviator in those days. He was also an instructor at an aviation school, though he had little experience of flights of the distance he was attempting. Albert took off from Long Island and was seen only one more time. The captain of a fishing vessel reported seeing an aircraft resembling Albert's off Sandy Hook a short time later after he left. Did Albert Jewell crash? No one knows. Extensive searches on land and sea were conducted using motorboats and automobiles. Several of the other aviators from the race took to the air to search, but no signs of Albert or the aircraft's wreckage were ever found. He'd simply vanished. A reward was offered for information, but it was never claimed. And although several bodies were subsequently discovered in the ocean off New York, none of them turned out to be the unlucky aviator. No trace of Albert Jewell was ever found again. On May 15, 1970, a wealthy couple from Arlington Heights, Illinois, Mr. and Mrs. Edward P. Andrews, attended a cocktail party at the Chicago Sheraton Hotel and were seen leaving the hotel's parking garage at 9.30 p.m. People attending the party later stated that Mr. Andrews was complaining that he was hungry after having only canapes to eat during the event. This started an argument and they left. Mrs. Andrews appeared to be crying by the time the couple reached their black and yellow 1969 Oldsmobile. The garage attendant saw them drive away on Lower Michigan Avenue, going south toward the Michigan Avenue bridge that spans the Chicago River, and the couple was never seen again. Their luxurious home, their extensive bank accounts, their stocks and bonds, and their 14 credit cards were never touched. The Andrews simply disappeared. In October 1964, a retired paint contractor named Charles F. Holden from Oakland, California, disappeared while on a hunting trip with his son and brother-in-law. While the other man planned to hunt, Holden merely wanted to paint and sketch in the woods. The three men stopped on the highway east of Crescent City, California in the middle of the afternoon on October 11th. While the two younger men went to scout the area for game, Holden set up his sketching board. Albert, his son, glanced back at him as he started up the trail and saw his father bent over the paper, lost in thought. It was the last time he would ever see him. When the two men returned about 45 minutes later, Holden had vanished. He left no footprints, discarded sketch paper, or cigarette butts behind. It was simply gone. Sheriff's deputies and forestry officials conducted an extensive search of the area, but found no evidence that Holden had ever been there at all. In 1975, a young couple, Jackson and Martha Wright, were driving from New Jersey to New York through the Lincoln Tunnel. According to Jackson, who was driving, he stopped just after passing through the tunnel to clean condensation off the car's windows. Martha offered to clean off the back window and both got out of the car. As soon as Jackson finished, he looked for his wife, but she was gone. He neither heard nor saw anything unusual take place, and a subsequent investigation could find no evidence of foul play 
Martha Wright had just disappeared. On July 24, 1977, a 24-year-old runner and Olympic hopeful named Amy Robechtel inexplicably vanished in the woods near Lander, Wyoming. On the morning she disappeared, Amy said goodbye to her husband, Steve, and was last seen that afternoon in a local art gallery. When she didn't return home that night, the authorities were contacted and a search discovered her car along Loop Road, which runs through the mountains of the Shoshone National Forest outside of town. The car was unlocked and the keys were found under a to-do list that Amy had made for the day. It had been left on the car's passenger seat. She was planning to take part in a race in the area, and friends believed that she was checking out the course when she vanished. Searches of the region by friends and police officials, the National Guard, and the FBI have failed to turn up any clues. Amy remains missing to this day. These accounts and the many you'll hear throughout season seven of the podcast only scratch the surface of the vanished. There are hundreds of cases locked up in my file cabinet and thousands more in archives, libraries, and police stations across the country. This season will include the stories that I found to be most intriguing, compelling, and downright chilling. Like the stories of the man in the green pajamas, history's most famous ghost ship, a vanished candy heiress, a couple that never made it out of the Grand Canyon, the outdoorsman who vanished into the wild and left only traces of his adventure behind, the so-called girl genius who walked away one day and never came back, the babysitter who vanished on Halloween, the missing Texas couple who may have been Russian spies, the missing newlywed, the three bathing beauties who got in a boat and never came back, the Ohio sorority girl who never made it home, the vanished television news reporter, and so many more. An entire season of strangeness that will make you think about something very carefully. If all these people vanish so easily from the face of the earth, then it means it could happen to anyone, perhaps even you. Because as you'll learn this season, a disappearance doesn't have to be possible in order for it to occur. In fact, one of the most baffling vanishings of all time simply couldn't have happened. And yet it did. On June 29, 1968, a private DC-3 aircraft took off from Kankakee, Illinois, bound for a Lions Club convention in Dallas, Texas. The plane had been chartered from the Purdue Aviation Corporation for the trip, and among the 23 passengers on board were Gerald Potter and his wife, Carrie. The couple had been looking forward to the trip for quite some time. Gerald, age 54, was a successful insurance executive from Pontiac, Illinois. He was a Lions Club member in good standing, belonged to both the Elks and Moose Lodges, and was a member of the local Chamber of Commerce. Affable, outgoing, and in the best of health, he had a happy home life, two married daughters, and was not the sort of man whom anyone would suspect of becoming involved in a mystery that has never been solved. For an hour after takeoff, the potters, occupying seats toward the rear of the plane, looked down over the rolling foothills of the Ozarks, talking quietly and enjoying the smooth flight. It was a beautiful summer day, and the sky was cloudless. The DC-3 was north of Rolla, Missouri, approaching the Camp Leonardwood area when Gerald decided to use the restroom. His wife saw him walk 
toward the compartment at the back of the plane's cabin and pause along the way to chat with some of his friends who were also going to the convention. One of those friends was James Skiva, president of the Lions Club chapter in Ottawa, Illinois. Gerald chatted with them briefly and then continued down the aisle to the lavatory. A few minutes passed and then, surprisingly, the plane jolted, as if it bumped over an invisible obstacle in its flight path. It recovered immediately and there was no concern among the passengers. Most of them had flown before and were familiar with the occasional turbulence that was encountered during air travel. Carrie Potter, who was not an air travel veteran, was a little unnerved by the bump and looked around for her husband. He had still not returned from the restroom. Failing to see him anywhere, she asked one of the two flight attendants to check the lavatory and make sure he was okay. The flight attendant knocked on the door, but there was no reply. Concerned, she used the emergency latch to open the door, but there was no one inside. The flight attendant quickly checked the small plane, but Gerald Potter was nowhere to be found. She hurried to the flight deck to speak to the captain. She didn't say anything to Carrie when she passed her seat. On the flight deck, the attendant told co-pilot Roy Backus that Gerald was missing. Roy was understandably skeptical, but she assured him the man was gone. He was near the lavatory compartment when the plane quivered, she told him. He isn't there now, and no one has seen him since. Roy informed Captain Miguel Cabeza about the situation and then hurried back into the plane's cabin to check things out for himself. If Potter was really gone, Roy surmised he may have been thrown against the rear exit door by the turbulence and fell out or had gone to the wrong door by mistake, believing it was the lavatory. Of course, this did not explain how he could have missed the large sign that stated, do not open while in flight, or how the passengers and crew would have failed to notice that a door had been opened while the plane was in the air. Captain Cabeza radioed the nearest airport, which was Springfield, Missouri, and reported he was changing course due to an emergency. He gave them details about the missing man, and when the plane touched down, it was thoroughly searched by the authorities. Gerald Potter was not on board. It was impossible to believe that Gerald could have accidentally left the plane. The exit door not only had the large red warning sign plastered on it in plain sight, but it was hinged at the top, which meant that it was opened upward, unlike any restroom door would be. The door was also secured by a safety chain and had a large heavy handle that had to be turned 180 degrees to release two sturdy plunger bolts so that it could open. If Gerald had believed this was the lavatory, then it would have had to have been the most secure restroom he'd ever used. Grove Webster, president of the Purdue Aviation Corporation, was one of the officials who investigated the incident. He stated in a release, it would have taken a monumental effort to open the door during flight. The door was locked securely on takeoff. You can stand in the door of a DC-3 in flight and not be sucked out. The plane is not pressurized. And to open the door takes a lot of effort. Crews close the door for our stewardesses and open it. And it's harder to open and close in flight than on the ground. Some of our smaller stewardesses actually have a difficult time opening the door. 
Several months later, lawyers for Carrie Potter filed a damage suit against the air charter company, arguing they were negligent in their maintenance of the aircraft and failed to follow safety procedures. The case was eventually dismissed. The door had not opened during the flight. Gerald Potter had not vanished because of their negligence. So what did happen to him? Well, no one knows. There had been 22 other passengers and two flight attendants on board, but there were no eyewitnesses who could say that they had seen Gerald open the exit door and fall to his death. The area of the Ozark Mountains where he would have fallen, if the door had opened, but it didn't, was carefully searched, but his corpse was never found. It wasn't found because it had never been there. So where did Gerald Potter go? Did he accidentally fall to his death? Or did the seemingly happy and untroubled man commit suicide? And if so, how did he get out of the plane since the exit door had never been opened? Better yet, how had he gotten out of the restroom since the door was still locked behind him? There are no logical explanations for this one. Gerald Potter became a man who literally vanished into thin air. And he won't be the last one you'll hear about during the season ahead. On behalf of myself, Troy Taylor, and my co-host, Cody Beck, we want to invite you to experience Season 7 of American Hauntings with us, which we'll be simply calling Gone. It's coming your way soon, and you are not going to want to miss a single episode of the season because this time, you really never know what's going to happen next. Next.